It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The Nets make one of the biggest decisions they had to make during the offseason with a decision around the Philadelphia draft pick that they could either choose to keep or to defer. They make that decision, and at the end of the podcast, we're also going to have an exclusive with one Mr. Robert Ori talking about the NBA Finals. It's a packed podcast here on a Friday. We're going to cover it all, but first, the theme music. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Nets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I am Doug Norrie, owner-operator of DFSR.com. If you need some projections for FanDuel and or DraftKings, NBA, MLB, NFL, when the season comes around, NHL too. We got it all covered. PGA got it all covered over there at DFSR. Go check that out. No Adam Armbrecht. You know him as the host of the One Giant podcast where he's covering the New York football giants. He is off today as we roll through the end of the week. Here in the offseason, Game 1 for the uh, NBA Finals is in the books. Recording this a little bit earlier than that, we're going to have Robert Ori coming on to talk about that um, later on in the podcast, so make sure you stick around to check that out. We are going to talk, we, all of us, together here in Nets Nation, are going to talk today about the news that came out on Wednesday. The Nets had a decision to make about the draft pick heading into this year's draft that they had gotten from in as part of the Ben Simmons trade when they traded James Harden for Ben Simmons earlier in the season. That was the 23rd pick in the draft, which, uh, you know, a first rounder, that is Philadelphia's pick. And as part of the deal, the Nets and the Sixers had decided that this could be a pick, a pick swap. Or excuse me, a deferment. They, the Nets could either, either choose to take Philadelphia's pick this year, which again, we know right now is the 23rd pick in the draft, or defer to next year, the 2023 draft, 
and use it then. It would expire after that. They have to, you know, it's a one or the other. They have to choose this year or next year. The Nets, as was expected from them, did choose to defer the pick to next season. Uh, so they pushed this can down the road a little bit. A bunch of reasons, I think, for that. Again, this was around the industry, basically, or around the league, basically to be the expected outcome when it came to the deferment. Like, we were kind of, I mean, me personally, Adam, all of us that had talked about it and read about it, um, we're really just waiting for them to announce it. They had until midnight Wednesday night or Thursday morning, however you wanted to find that, to make the decision on the pick. And uh, but it was it was kind of a foregone conclusion that they would just they would push it to the next season. There's a lot of reasons to do that, so it wasn't all that big of a surprise. They did not wait to the last second to do it. They did it midday on Wednesday to sort of get it out of the way, um, and that's going to be the case. So. What does it mean? It means that this season for the Nets, they do not have any draft picks. <laughs> they have, they will not be picking either in the first or second round at all. Uh, makes the draft quote unquote easy for them uh, from the, from that standpoint. Seeing as how they don't have any decisions to make. The reason for that is they had shipped off their other picks in this draft originally out to Houston uh, as part of the original James Harden deal that shipped off Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, and some pieces, and a ton of draft picks over the next couple years. Um, And so with their picks already shipped out with the original deal to bring in Harden, it meant that really all their draft equity going forward was going to be what they had kind of recouped in the Simmons for Harden deal uh, with the Sixers. And this was one, this was one of those things. But so you ask yourself, like, why why would they defer? Like, what were the things to keep in mind? Now, Adam, for his part, he he, he desperately he loves the draft so much. I do too. But I mean, he really really loves it. I joked on Twitter that um, you know the, them deferring this twenty third you know mid round for mid first round pick or late first round pick. Um, it was going to cost him about 20 to 25 podcast episodes of content because he just wanted to be able to break down all the different uh, guys that the Nets could get. And it's super fun to try to figure out who those guys are going to be. Not going to happen this time uh, around. So, you, okay, so let me go back to So outside of a losing it for content standpoint, what does it mean for the Nets to defer this pick and to move it to the next season? Okay, so there's a couple of things that I'm sure we're under consideration. One, on a pretty simple level, next year's draft is just supposed to be deeper than this year's draft. That is speculation. You never know how these things shake out. It's a year from now. Players come, players emerge, players fall back. You know, the draft gets deeper, the draft gets narrower. This kind of stuff is always moving targets. We're going to talk to Rafael Barlow about this over the course of the season, the Locked On Nets, excuse me, Locked On Podcast Network draft expert. Um, but there is, there's, you know, wide speculation, wide kind of agreement industry alignment on that the 2023 draft will just offer a deeper uh, set of players. And at 23 this season, you know, the maybe the limit was kind of capped on upside talent that the Nets were going to be able to get with that pick. Okay, that makes sense. You want to just, you know, maybe the future looks brighter than the, the present. Sometimes the grass always does look a little greener. I can hear that point of view. Um, that and again, that is a general industry consensus on that. But uh, so that's the one reason. So you say, well, what we could get at, from a uh, from the twenty third pick isn't wasn't going to be quote worth it uh, if they were just going to retain the pick and end up drafting it right. Like having to taking like like they did last year where they didn't really move much stuff around. They take Cam Thomas, they take Daron Sharp, you know Kessler, all these guys. Uh, you know, and really work their way through five picks in the draft to go from five picks to zero is what the Nets end up doing this season. But, you know, maybe they didn't look at this and say, you know, we can't really, 
it's going to be hard uh, to just on a, just a draft pick level to make to get ourselves fair value out of it. Consider that the Sixers had a pretty good run and were the 23rd overall pick. So that's the first part. The second part um, is starting to think about. You know, why else would they have, you know, other reasons they could have kept it? Well, they could have kept it and put it together with some trade exceptions that they have for the season. Adam, again, desperately wanted that to happen uh, to be able to pile get together. The, you know, if you consider the trade exceptions to be something of um, an asset, it's not really. It's a, you know, more like a mechanism to be able to bring in players that they wouldn't have been able to play um, to, you know, bring in before because of the, you know, the money swap. You know that you can entice other teams to kind of you know bring send over the money if you're going to attach a draft pick asset to it, and you know that can that can be part of the line of thinking too if you're going to keep it this year. The 11.3 from a million straight exception from Harden that expires February 2023, so it's probably not going to be used this offseason. And then uh, they have a couple other a 3.2 million and a 6.2 million that are going to expire this summer. Um, but they would have to, you know, kind of attach things to it. This is all, by the way, Adam broke this down on Twitter. Make sure you go follow him at Adam Armbrecht over over there. So, like, you know, they to keep the pick this season would have meant, you know, being able to pile it together with a couple of other these things that the Nets have in their coffers from other moves they've made. But ultimately, they decided uh, not to do that. Like, they're not gonna. They're just gonna say they're gonna kind of roll with this and kick it down the road to next year. Okay, so there's a lot of reasons for that. We'll go through a couple of them right now. The first and foremost is that having the pick now allows them time to be able to use that pick at the trade deadline for next year when things are, you know, when they're trying to really hone in on what they need. They're, this, these picks and the ones that they have going forward, like the ones that they were able to retain from the uh excuse me from the move like they have just and just as a note about that they have uh, this year's they go to houston the first round pick goes to houston they can um they can have phillies for next year 2024 they don't have they're sending that out to houston um 2025 probably going to houston or okc in 2026 to houston so like this is really one of the only first round picks that they have left and you know or for you know a great while um in terms of they uh Oh, excuse me, they're going to have the 2028 from Philly. So, you know, but they don't really have much in the way of first round picks that they can package together for a player later on down the line. Right now, they don't know what that player is or who that player that they might need. Um, and it's unlikely they're going to be able to know that come draft time to know exactly what their needs are for next season. So retaining the pick into next year makes a lot of sense on a timeline standpoint because, hey, next, you know, come trade deadline, we'll know. You know, Sean Marks and company will know exactly what it is or like some facsimile of what they need uh, for a championship run. If that's the way things are shaking out, they just can't really know that it's too soon to know that right now. So to not really know what the greater team needs are as of right this second, coupled with not even knowing like how the rest of the free agency had worked out. And again, they don't get to choose at the draft if they can use it. They had to choose by you know Wednesday, having to choose by Wednesday even change the timeline around like the draft piece of it. Right. So like the, I, I do think maybe if it had been a later timeline, the, the, the decision might've been closer. The reason it's not that close is there's just too many unknowns in the Nets world right now to really hone in on whether or not using that pick is the correct one. So that's the first consideration, just, you know, giving yourself more of a timeline to not, you know, use the 23rd pick in this year's draft makes sense on a now standpoint and it makes sense on a future standpoint there is another reason that the nets 
likely were made it even easier to defer this pick to the next year to the next year's draft and this one might have actually been even the bigger reason going to talk about that in a second first going to tell you about our friends over at built bar built we look every single time we read about built bar we're talking about a new product that's because built bar has just made a commitment to bringing you new products bringing the delicious stuff they got the built bars they got the birthday cake puffs they got it all out there but now they've got the granola bars here as well the built bar granola bars come in three awesome flavors they got chocolate peanut butter chocolate coconut and white chocolate berry. We've been telling you forever that Bill Bars just focus on the flavors. This is their thing. They want to make sure the flavor, start with the flavor so it tastes good, unlike some of that other protein stuff that you get out there, which can kind of taste cardboardy, cardboardy, spongy. Uh, you know, they're not doing that. They're focused on the flavors. Make sure they start there. Then they back it up with the stats, back it up with the analytics. They have 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, just four grams of sugar. Go try to find that in another one of those granola bars that are sitting there on the grocery store shelf. You're not going to find that. You got to check out the Built Bar granola bars right now. You go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15. You're going to get 15% off of your order. Use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, the other reason that the Nets, or in conjunction with why the Nets would defer, not even from the timeline standpoint, um, you know, like we just said, we said it's going to be it'd be likely more likely to know what assets you need going forward, more likely to know what the team exactly needs, more likely that other teams are going to be willing to shop players around the trade deadline when they know where they are. Right? We know the trade deadline can heat up in terms of player movement, you know, obviously more than just in the regular season. So you might just not even be able to find a suitor if you wanted to ship the the pick right now. So using the pick, using the, using the pick now as an asset is also just kind of worse. Like, you know, teams are going to value that pick much more later on. Teams tend, like I said, teams tend to value the picks more when they're in their own hands as well. Like, you know, it's like harder to draft a player and then trade them. So there's less, lots of ways that these picks are viewed from an equity standpoint um, when it comes to other teams around the league. But the other piece about why the Nets might have looked at this uh, pick to say, even with all the unknowns, another piece that like makes the pick some, not likely, but a chance at significantly more value is that the picture, the Sixers could just nosedive next season. Right, like we know what the Sixers became this season. They had an MVP level performance from Joel Embiid. They got hardened late in the game, or excuse me, at the trade trade deadline. Uh, we obviously know how that turned out, um, where he just tanked to get out of Brooklyn and then went over uh, to Philly. They finished fourth in the East, fifty-one and thirty-one. 
like I said, Embiid played almost the entire season. Like for him, he put up MVP level numbers. This was one of the better outcomes you could probably assume that could come out of Philly, especially when it comes to age and health regressions and all that stuff. Very good chance the Nets looked at this and said, man, let's play this out like a few a few hundred times, right? Let's do this little simulation around what the Sixers season could look like. Do we think they're going to be 51 and 31 again? We saw some tailing off of Harden there in the playoffs. You know, we don't know what his conditioning is going to be like. Embiid has had injury history in the past. No, no one's rooting for injury here, by the way. Like, we're not rooting for an injury so the Nets can get a better draft pick. No, 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 no. no. And please, no one bring that up to anyone this season. I'm just saying from a realistic standpoint, if you're looking at, you know, how the pass has played out with this team, uh, with Embiid specifically, the guy's just a huge body, you know, getting some miles on him now, has had injury stuff in the past, and considering how just unbelievably he is important he is to that team if there was like some injury stuff with him this season or some regression at all because he put in a lot of miles this year going into the playoffs like are 51 and 31 a realistic number for the Sixers to hit next year I don't know maybe they're maybe they get better maybe you know full season of, of Embiid healthy full season Harden gets after it in the gym uh you know just recommits to just making sure the body's in perfect shape he comes he's got something to prove going into next year that could happen, and at that point, they, you know, this pick likely looks worse <laughs> because uh, that team, we've seen that team at least, from, especially from a regular season standpoint, which probably steamroll a lot through a good, pretty good win and loss record. But you know, there's the other way that this works out. Embiid has history of, of injuries, like I said. Um, if he misses significant time, that really, really cuts into the talent level. Harden doesn't recommit the stuff, or I mean, doesn't resign, which is also another possibility that we don't know. If for some reason that thing just spirals and he heads out into the open market too as a free agent, like there's a world where um, like they just look so much worse. And I think the Nets had to do a little bit of that calculus. I think they had to look at that situation and say, we know right now that the 20, they have the 23rd pick. If we look at all the different ways a Sixer season could shake out for next year, um, I think there's more than a few possibilities that this pick looks a lot better. Again, it could look worse. They could make a massive run. They could end up being a you know a dominant regular season team with those two guys at the very top, plus a Tyrese Maxey, plus you know Tobias Harris, who's overpaid but still good. Um, like that's a really good regular season team. Their record could be really good. The pick looks worse, but you know, is it an acceptable risk to, to go into it now and say, you know? this is the risk we know what it is now there's a world where it's i mean i don't think we're talking lottery pick but you know is there a world where it's just more in the, sort of the mid first round rather than the, the later first round i think that's i think that's a, a like a level-headed way to approach it i think most logical people would look at the situation and think that this philly season in the past played out pretty darn well all things considered from a health perspective i mean i know they didn't have simmons but you know, they kept him being healthy the entire season. And I just think that, like, that's a pretty easy call at that point. So, so we, you know, to, to kind of recap, we have the part where they had to make the decision Wednesday well and, you know, a little bit less than a month before the draft. Okay, that's going to be tough. Nets don't know even who is on their squad right now. <laughs> like, we don't, we don't even know, like, who is going to fill out the rest of the roster. No Kyrie Irving, um, you know, no Kyrie Irving decision right now, no Bruce Brown decision, no Nick Claxton decision. All this stuff hasn't even hasn't even been worked out. Um, the that's going to start July first, and you know that's after the draft too. Um, and so, you know, at that point, they're just not going to really know 
they don't just don't know enough about their current team. So you put that together, you put together the piece where the draft just isn't as deep this year, you know, in theory. Uh, and then you look at the situation where the Sixers are maybe possibly much worse next season. And you have a situation that ends up making this like a kind of a pretty easy call. So I'd be interested to hear what people think about this. You can go and comment, make sure you comment on YouTube. Like, do you think this is the right decision? Kind of took the lay of the land here. Didn't seem like anyone was really all that set upset, except for, uh, like I said, Adam. And that was strictly from a content piece. He was looking to really wanting to do the deep dive and all the guys that the Nets were going to be able to get at 23. I thought those list was decent in just a kind of a first glance through the landscape. I thought there was a world where the Nets could, you know, gets a kind of a win now ish piece around that, or, you know, maybe a little bit looking toward the future piece um, with that 23rd pick in the draft. Um, And so he's upset, but I didn't think the rest of the rest of you all out there are kind of, you know, thinking the same way. I think everyone kind of has the same idea around uh, just a logical approach to how to use these very few assets the Nets have. They're going to need to use these really, really wisely over the next couple of seasons because they just don't have much left in the cupboard as the way it stands right now because the other deals they made. This is what happens to you when you're a really good team on a championship run, unless you get like, you know, sort of lucky with timing of the Warriors and take a season off and get to pile together a couple like first round lottery picks. But <laughs> except for those guys, <laughs> most other teams uh, end up working it out this way. So I think logical decision, all things being uh, all things considered. And I we kind of saw this one coming All right, after the break. Uh, special interview here with Robert Ori, uh, Big Shot Bob over there, jumped on with uh, Peter Bukowski from the lot. It's an exclusive for the Locked On Network. He's talking all stuff about the NBA Finals, his experiences in the Finals, what to look for as this uh, series unfolds here for the Finals. Really cool interview. Really lucky to have him. Really great to just be on the Locked On Network where they're able to get big names like this. We're able to just bring in um, just, you know, superstar guys, uh, you know, guys that have just kind of legends, especially when you look at his resume from the Finals. So Robert Ori coming on. Uh, after the break here and then you know we'll be back next week talking more brooklyn nets basketball check it out robert ori on locked on today with peter bukowski the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Golden State Warriors are minus 150, the favorites in the NBA Finals against the Boston Celtics. Joining me now, Robert Ory, seven-time NBA champion, is here courtesy of Bet Online. Check out Bet Online for all the up-to-date lines on the NBA Finals, Finals MVP, Finals props, and each and every game line. This is great to have you here. Why do you think, because the line has moved a little bit in, in the Celtics' favor, why do you think there are people that like the Celtics matchup against the Warriors. Because the smart people know defense wins championships. Mm. And if you look at the Celtics team, they got two players on that team that made the all-defensive team. You know, smart, of course, defensive player of the year. But Robert Williams is one of those guys that is an eraser. He can block shots. He can, you know, you know, he can erase a lot of mistakes that you make on the perimeter. And you think about it, you got Brown, Tatum, and Smart who can get up on people defensively and funnel them to that guy. Next thing you know, it's getting blocked. And if you look at the way, you know, Hartford has been playing, he's turned back the hands of time. He's blocking <laughs> shots again. So 
if you, overall, I think that the, the, the Celtics is a better defensive team than the Warriors because even though you have Draymond Green, Green Clay Thompson is not the Clay Thompson of old who can do the things he used to be able to do. And, and, and so I just think that's, that's a big key for them, for the Celtics, that is. How do you see defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, matching up with, with Steph Curry? Is that going to be something where you see that Marcus is going to pick him up 94 feet? Like, how do you think Smart is going to approach that assignment if he does get that assignment, which we assume he's going to? But you know what? I don't think it's going to be a one-man job. If you look at the Celtics, they one, two, three are all athletic guys. And you go to the two, Jalen. And go to the Tatum, they get taller. You know, it's like, yeah. like the bars on the cell phone. And I think even, even though they like to do a lot of switching, I think they're, they're, they're perfect for this matchup. It's a perfect matchup for the, for the Celtics and when they got the guard. And because, you know, Clay is going to be constant moving. And so, sort of, you know, not the same as a Jimmy Butler or Tyler Hero, but I think this, what they just did against the Heat, is like a, a, a prelude to a preclude to what they're going to do. And so I think they're going to be fine defensively switching and getting ready for Steph. It sounds like you like the Celtics in this one. You know, all my Laker fans are going to be mad at me because they said you cannot <laughs> wear anything green. You can never root for the Celtics. I'm not rooting for the Celtics. You know, I, I would like to see my former teammate, Emeo Duco, win his first championship. You know, so I would like for that to happen. But, you know, I just think being the basketball mindset, I just think that there, there's a good chance the Celtics could win this thing. All right, so we have some odds here. Celtics in six is plus 375. Celtics in seven is plus 650. If people are going to bet on it, what is what is your prediction if you like Boston? Six, seven? Hey, you know what? If you, you're trying to make some money, right? <laughs> that's, why you, that's why you gamble. And so I will go with the Celtics in seven because I think the Celtics have been a battle-tested team on the road. They've won a lot of games on the road. They just won the Eastern Conference on the road. And so I think they're ready. Not saying everybody would say, well, the, you know, the Heat is a different monster than, you know, the Warriors and blah, blah, blah. But I still think it all boils down to having confidence and playing well on the road and, and believing that you can win on the road. There has also been this discussion now, especially among Celtics fans, about what this Celtics team has had to face, what, particularly who had Jason Tatum has had to face. Kevin Durant in the first round, Giannis Antetokounmpo in the second round, Jimmy Butler on a heater no pun intended for Miami. And now Steph Curry, you're talking about at least three Pantheon guys, guys who are all time great players. Who do you think has the most on the line legacy wise in this series for whom would that one title you won seven, who would that one title mean the most for? You know, I'm, I'm going to go off script a little bit and, and I, I'm going to stop people from thinking this is going to be the greatest run ever by the Celtics. That's not true. Because you got Hornet Set, Carmelo, you got Kevin Johnson, Charles Barkley, you got Dennis Rodman, uh, MVP, David Robinson, and you got Shaquille and Penny. Now, that is the greatest run in back in 95. So when people say this might be the greatest run, stop it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because all these teams was 50, you know, 55, 50 plus win teams. And so I just think if you if you look at this game and you have to pick an MVP, you know, of course, it's, it's going to be it Tatum, but this run that the Celtics are on is incredible. You know, don't get me wrong because they've been able to win on the road, which is key because you have to win on the road in order to win championship. That's if, unless you have home court advantage, you protect your home court. But I just think overall, when you look at the makeup of these two teams, they're similar. You know, Golden State Warriors, they were the Celtics six, seven years ago when they first entered the playoffs. 
and nobody thought they could win a championship. Next thing you know, they win a championship. Then the following season, they win all these games and don't win a championship. And then they get KD, then they win two more. But I think if you look at the Celtics, there are so there are so many similarities with these teams that people are always going to say, "Oh, let's go with the veteran leadership. Let's go with the fan favorite and Steph." You know, this thing, this thing about because everybody wants Steph to win because we know he got robbed one time with the MVP in the finals, and then he take he took a step back and let KD come in to his team, which is Steph team, and take two MVPs. And so I I I, I do think Steph has a lot to prove. And his legacy is on the line when it comes to this because, you know, all the chatter now is about him not having an MVP in the finals, which we all know he was robbed of one. So let's, let's be real about that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at these MVP odds as you're talking about the MVP and, and we expect Curry and Tatum right at the top in terms of the odds. You're not getting really good value there. I'm looking at Jalen Brown, 10 to one. Yeah. I'm looking at Draymond 22 to one. Like if he really turned it up defensively, people forget in that game seven against the Cavs, he had a triple double in that game. He was the best warrior on the floor in that game. I'm looking at Marcus smart at 40 to one. It seems like you you can get some good value. And we've seen, including in this warriors run that it's not always the stars who win these finals MVPs. It's true. You know, for me, if, if I wanted to take the eyes, I'm, I'm going to eliminate the top three automatically. And I don't, I don't think Clay is, you know, you know, Clay is a game five, game six type of player. But me, I would go with Andrew Wiggins. If I had to mm. pick someone with the odds, I would go with Andrew Wiggins, who is 20 to one. And think about it, he has started to come into his own. Yeah. He after that dunk on, <laughs> on Luca, all of a sudden this dude is smiling big. He's he's enthusiastic, he's playing hard, and he's an all-star. You know, I think some people forget he was an all-star. I think this is a good way in the biggest stage to show everybody that the all-star committee didn't make a mistake. So if I had to take all the, because I don't think Draymond Green, he don't shoot, he doesn't shoot enough and he's going to have to guard too many people. So he's going to be all over the board that. So if you look down that list of people and you want to say odds maker, for me, I would take Andrew Wiggins 20 to one. That is, I, I mean, that, that's bold. I love it. Uh, I think you're right that that he he seems to be a different player. Just in the Warriors, just in Golden State, he seems to have been unlocked a little bit, whether that's Steve Kerr, whether that's just him feeling more comfortable. We're talking about legacy. And you have been on some teams that have gone on these multi-year runs that have been what we, we might consider dynastic, right? There have been some discussions here. If the Warriors win one, that because it's the Clay, Steph, Draymond core with Steve Kerr, that this has to be considered part of the Warriors run and that we have to call them a dynastic team. Where do you fall on that discussion? If they win one, are they a dynasty? You know what? It's, it's, I will put them in that category as a dynasty. You know, if you, if you, because they was riddled with injuries right? two years, Clay was out and Steph went out. You know, you, you say, okay, we'll give them a we'll – Phil Jackson asterisks by those two years. But if they were to get back to the mountaintop and win this year, I, I would put them, you know, you got one more step to be a dynasty. And then if they go to the finals again, then I would give them a dynasty. But, you know, think about this. They gave us a dynasty in the Lakers. We won three in a row. And next thing you know, they dismount a team. They go back and lose. It's considered a dynasty. So, you know, if you, to me, there's only been, you know, three dynasties in this Bulls, the Celtics, and the Lakers because – they're a situation where they went six plus championships. You know, I, I, that's what you look at. But in this day, in this era, you can give them a dynasty. I think I think 
you, I, I, I would, I would consider the Spurs, the Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich Spurs in that mix, but they never won back-to-back titles. And so it depends on how you want to qualify it. Sustained success, not always enough. I, I think if you're a Boston fan, you're going, why can't we have that sustained run? We've got these two young superstars, Marcus Smart, defensive player of the year, who's coming into his own a little bit defensively. It seems like they've unlocked some things with him as their pure point guard in initiating offense because he doesn't have to create for everyone. They've got Tatum and Brown who can create for themselves. I mean, this, what, what do you think the chances are that they could be not the next dynasty, but the next team that you have to deal with in the Eastern conference? Like, okay, they're going to be there every year until further notice. You know, I, I think you look down a line and you says, okay, Tatum first team max Brown max smart max. These are super max contract. These guys yeah, potentially can get. So right. now we're, you know, if you, since I cover the Lakers, the Lakers got $40 million guys, three forty million guys. They can't get nobody else on the team unless they do some hell of a drafting, you know, and, and they get those guys that's going to be there, but it boils down to payday, man. If you're going to stick around and get paid, or you're going to have that one falter and say, oh, you know, we didn't win a championship. We need to make a move because, you know, they exported us in this area. We need to get someone in and they trade one of those guys. You know, people do dumb things like that. Well, GMs, I should say. So I think they have the potential to make a long run. This is going to have to stick together and do what a Tim Duncan would do and say, you know, what? I'm going to take less money. So you can sign a Tony Parker, you sign a Manu Ginobili. But are these guys now, you know, selfless enough with this? Hey, you know what? I don't want to make 40 million. I make 30 million. You know, I, I don't think so. I think every now, every guy now is trying to get their bag. So they can say, you know what? At one point in my career, I was making 50, 40 million, whatever it may be. So I don't, that's going to be the key though. It boils down to money. If they can keep that team together. All right. Not a finals question, but I can't talk to big shot Bob and not ask you this question. Which of your big shots is your favorite? You know, um, I grew up a Lakers fan a huge Magic Johnson fan. And one of my biggest thrills before I even made to the NBA, I got to play one-on-one with Magic when I was being scouted by the Lakers coming out of college, coming out of University of Alabama. So the shot I made against the Sacramento Kings in 2001 to win that game is probably my favorite. And uh, don't get me wrong, I love what I did in Houston. I love what I did in San Antonio. But everything I did in, in San Antonio was on the road, game five on the road. But this was at home in Staples Center. And the ego comes into play where you want to hear that crowd chant your name, man. And you run off the court and the crowd still chanting your name. You're in the locker room. You can still hear them chanting your name. So I think that shot, it, it, it takes over all the other shots just for the ego. You know, we are all as athletes got some type of ego. And I think for me, that just takes over because I had the Laker fan chanting my name. They weren't chanting Shaq. They weren't chanting Kobe. They were chanting Ori. So that's a big plus for me. Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.